This morning we're going to be uh, picking up the, uh, the uh, our working through the book of Proverbs, and we're going to be looking at Proverbs chapter three, verses uh, eleven and twelve, uh, uh, verses eleven and twelve this morning, and it's all about discipline. It's all about fatherly correction, and so I'm just going to read uh, those verses um, very quickly. They'll come up behind me on the screen. This is what it says: My son. Do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. (coughs) Discipline, fatherly correction. While I was away, I was actually staying down in Devon in a place called Ottery St. Mary. And uh, Ottery St. Mary's most famous son was Samuel Coleridge famous poet. William Barclay said of Coleridge, this is what he said, never did so great a mind produce so little. He obviously didn't know some of us, did he? (laughs) Never did so great a mind produce so little. Coleridge left Cambridge University to join the army. Um, But he didn't stay there very long because he couldn't rub down a horse. And so he left Cambridge University and then he went back to university, but he went to Oxford University this time. He left Oxford University without a degree. Coleridge started a paper which only lasted 10 editions. He had an incredible poetic gift, yet was addicted to opium. He said he had all kinds of books in his head which were, his words, completed save for transcription. Yet that's where they stayed because of ill-discipline. Discipline and correction are words today which tend to, sadly, tend to carry a really negative connotation in the world we live in. Physically disciplining children, which one once would have been talked about quite openly, has negative connotations, and it really isn't acceptable outside the context of a home. And even then, there are all sorts of questions that people have. You wouldn't go on holiday to a correction center. Wouldn't do it. The whole issue of discipline and correction brings to mind a sergeant major with new recruits, hectoring them, shouting at them, threatening them with all sorts of punishment if they don't do the right thing. And yet, that isn't the heart of discipline. Discipline is the practice of training people to behave in a certain way. It carries both positive and negative connotations. The, The negative is that it can veil rebuke if we're not doing what we ought to. But the positive side of discipline is that if we allow, if we listen to it, it will shape our lives. You see, without discipline, we will not achieve all that God wants us to achieve. We will not be the people that God wants us to be. You see, the book of Proverbs has a lot to say about discipline and correction. It's mentioned over 28 times, and the words are used interchangeably. In Proverbs chapter 12, verse 1, it says this, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. He who hates correction is stupid. 
That's what the Bible says. If you hate correction, the Bible says you're stupid. It's a bit stark, isn't it? The theme of discipline and correction is then picked up in the book of Hebrews, which quotes this passage, these two verses that we've read. And the passage in Hebrews, which we're going to read later this morning, encourages us to endure hardship as discipline because God is treating us as sons and daughters. God's discipline is apparently for our good. Eventually, it bears fruit in our lives. Do we need to hear this? I think we do. A.W. Tozer said this. This is a great quote. We must face the fact that many today are notoriously careless in their living. This attitude finds its way into the church. We have liberty. We have money. We live in comparative luxury. As a result, discipline practically has disappeared. Discipline has disappeared. Let's start at the beginning. You know, God always intended us to enjoy living in this world. You see, our decision to live independently of him has resulted in the mess, this sin-sick world that we live in. Following Adam's, the Bible says, Adam's rebellion, we are estranged from God. And Adam's DNA, his propensity to sin, his desire to do, to live without God, is uh, we all inherit it. We're all born with it. And yet God has always wanted to restore a broken relationship. He's always wanted to have us back in his presence. And yet he is a holy God. He can't just overlook our rebellion. He can't just ignore it. Hebrews tells us that he's holy, that he's a consuming fire, that it's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. We'd love God to overlook our shortcomings. We'd love God to be able to say, oh, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter you've done that. It doesn't really matter your rebellion. Actually, God can't do that because he's just and fair. The Bible says his, his kingdom is established on righteousness and justice. He is a just God. He's a righteous God. He can't just ignore our wrongdoing. Is there a way back? Is there any way back? And we've been singing about that this morning, uh, about God wanting us in his presence. There's a way into the presence of a holy God. And in the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments were given to help people uh, relate to God. The problem was we couldn't keep them. We can't keep the Ten Commandments. God gave them not uh, for us to, uh, to, to see them as a list of do's and don'ts. He gave them because he loves us and he wants us to enjoy life to the full and they're to help us enjoy the life that he wants us to have. Our problem is we can't keep them. And so all through the Old Testament, God is hinting. They're little hints, they're little whispers that there is a way back into God's presence, that God is making a way. God, in Isaiah chapter 35, uh, Isaiah talks about a highway of holiness that leads to God, God's presence. In Proverbs chapter 4 verse 18, the writer Solomon talks about a righteous path, a way that brings us into God's presence. 
And so all through the Old Testament, there are hints of this way, this way that we will be able to come and know God. And, and then suddenly in the New Testament, Jesus Christ is revealed, as we were hearing about this morning. God's Son comes into the world, wonderful counselor, but he comes to reveal to us that there is a way back into God's presence. In fact, he says, Jesus says in John chapter 14, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, I am the way. Christ is the gospel. He is the good news. And we need to view everything through him. As we read the Proverbs, the Proverbs that we read, this Proverbs that we've read, finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. He is the answer. Jesus said, God's way is a narrow path. And if we're going to follow Jesus, if we're going to be his followers, we need to be disciplined in going his way. The trouble is, sometimes we are simply careless and sometimes we willfully go the wrong way. A couple of weeks ago, Annette and I and Rob and Nell were going to Bristol. We were going to a conference. And uh, we were leaving, as we were leaving Stanmore, uh, Rob said, do you want me to uh, get my sat-nav from the car? I said, oh, no, 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 don't worry, I won't need it. And Rob said to me, Steve, last year you said the same and we got lost. Do you want me to get my sat-nav? Oh, no, no, Rob, it'll be okay. I'll use my phone because I've got a, an app on my phone. So anyway, we don't take the sat-nav against Rob's best advice. And as we're driving there, I'm starting to think, actually, oh, I hope my, my phone works. I hope it's right. So as we're going there, I'm then, as we're getting closer to Bristol, I'm there, I've got my, my phone out, I'm giving it to Rob, and I'm, we're trying to find the postcode. Instead of listening to what Rob said, instead of listening, you made this mistake last year, we're struggling, we're, Rob has got my phone out, he's trying to get the right way up. Eventually we get there, it works. But boy, not heeding correction is stupid. It really is stupid. Rob knew what I was like. He knows that I'll go, oh, it'll be all right. We'll get there. But it doesn't work. We easily get lost. Sometimes we willfully go the wrong way. So God disciplines us. And the purpose of God's fatherly correction is so that we can enjoy life to the full. And so if we're going to do that, if we're going to enjoy the life that God has for us, we need to do three things. Firstly, we need to willingly embrace discipline. This this in uh, Proverbs that we read, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Do you embrace discipline and correction or do you despise it? Now, when I was growing up, I loved, I wanted to be a professional football player. I was never, ever in a million years going to be good enough. But I had this dream. I loved football. And I would go training to, uh, for football, for the football team. I would go anywhere, wherever it was. It didn't matter. I went with a glad heart. I was so excited to be out there playing football, to be training. I'd go running. I would do whatever it took to play football, anything to be part of the school football team. I'd go anywhere, I'd do anything. 
boy, I was, I willingly embraced discipline for the goal of playing for the football team. You know, if we are going to live for God in this world, then we need to obey him. And if we do that, our starting point needs to be Christ. We need to view this through Jesus Christ. And uh, what we, when we look at Jesus' life, what we find, we find something absolutely startling. We are told Jesus learned obedience. In Hebrews chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, Jesus, God's son, learnt obedience. He created the universe, yet he submitted himself to his father's will. He obeyed his father. He could have done whatever he wanted, but instead he chose to go where his father wanted him to go, to do what his father wanted him to do, to say what his father wanted him to say. He was in nature God, but he didn't consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. He took, the writer, uh, Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, he took the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. He learnt obedience, just as he learnt how to walk, Just as he learnt how to eat, just as he learnt how to dress himself, Jesus Christ, God's Son, learnt obedience. He chose to go God's way when he was tempted. When the devil tempted him, he wasn't going to allow food to drive him to do the wrong thing. He chose to go God's way instead. When the devil said, come on, prove yourself, throw yourself off this mountain, Because angels, you can get a whole legion of angels to come and rescue, stop your foot being, uh, you being dashed onto the ground. He knew he didn't need to prove himself because he was certain of who he was. He was certain of his identity as God's son. When the devil tempted him to take a shortcut, said, I will give you everything. I'll give you the nations of the world if you bow down and worship me. Jesus knew that that was his inheritance from God, but he choose, chose not to take a shortcut. He chose to be obedient and go to the cross for us. We will be eternally grateful that he was obedient. Jesus willingly embraced the way of discipline for us. What about us? You know, God has not made it hard. We're not left wandering in the dark. Which way shall we go? When Jesus went back to his Father, he sent the promised Holy Spirit. And God sent his Spirit and gives us his Spirit because the Spirit will come and lead us and guide us and counsel us. The Holy Spirit, we're told in Isaiah says, will come to us and say, this is the way, walk in it. That's how we receive discipline from God, because the Holy Spirit starts to speak to us, provokes our conscience. There are moments when you are about to do something, and you know inside you get that little thing, oh, I'm not sure I should do that. Should I be watching that? Should I do that? That's the Holy Spirit speaking to you, provoking you. The way of discipline is to listen to what God says and respond to it, and not just go, oh, it doesn't really matter, I'll be okay. God gives us his word. His word is a lamp to our feet, a light for our path. 
God's Word shows us which way to go. How easy it is to ignore what God says. And when we step over the line, and when we don't listen to God, God gently comes and corrects us. says, don't do that. That's not for your good. Go this way. Don't do that. God's correction is his voice, is his spirit coming to us. He's not beating us with a stick. God is a loving father. But how easy it is to resist his rebuke. You see, one of the things is, you see, we haven't understood the gospel if we don't listen to his rebukes. The Bible's very clear on issues like any sex outside marriage. You, we will live in a world today which will tell you all sorts of things. God's word is clear. God's word is clear on issues like gluttony, eating too much. God's word is absolutely crystal clear on issues like forgiveness. If you are holding unforgiveness in your heart, that is not what God's word. God's word says that uh, if, as you have been freely forgiven by God, you need to freely forgive others. You say, oh yeah, but you don't know what they did. You don't know how your sin offended God. God freely forgave you. He gave his son to die on the cross for you. So you need to forgive others. You see, anything that removes God from the center of our hearts, whether it's our children, whether it's our families, whether it's our jobs, whether it's what we own, the Bible calls them idols. The Bible says that we're to put aside idols and to serve the living God. God is to be the center of our hearts and lives. While I was away, I felt God speak to me about something personally. I felt God speak to me about the idolatry of restless work. I felt God say to me, you have, on occasions, you, Steve, you have been so focused on work, you have lost the art of resting in me. Steve, that is idolatry. God wants us to listen to his discipline, his correction. You see, you need to know that God is good. He's all-knowing, all-powerful, absolutely sovereign, and he wants to do good for each and every one of us. All he does is good. He calls all of his disciples, all of us, if you're a Christ follower here this morning, he calls you to follow his son the way of the cross. It's the way that Jesus went. It's the way of discipline. It's the way that leads to dying to ourselves, that in and through Christ's sacrificial death for us, we can live for God. This means obeying his word, following the leading of his spirit. We should be desperate to hear the word of God. Coming on Sunday morning, we should come with such anticipation. I am going to hear God speak to me this morning in the worship. I'm going to hear, we heard God speak to us in the worship this morning. Very Christ-focused. We should be expectant to hear God's word. We should be following the leading of his spirit. We should love God's word. We should love spending time in prayer. We should embrace his correction. We should quickly be getting right with God. When God, that, the whisper of God's spirit says, Steve, you shouldn't have done that, our immediate response is, oh, God, forgive me. You know, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. That's what 1 John chapter 1 says. 
We're to be those who are open and accountable. When someone comes to us and says, when Annette says to me, Steve, are you sure you should be doing that? You know, the wounds of a friend are good. When Annette says to me, Steve, I'm not sure you should be doing that. I'm not sure you should be saying that. That's God's correction sometimes, and we need to listen to it. We need to be accountable to one another. We need to be those who willingly embrace discipline. The second thing we need is, and this feels a little countercultural, we should joyfully endure discipline. We willingly embrace discipline, but we should joyfully endure it. You know, this is not masochism. It isn't. God wants us to joyfully endure discipline. Listen to this. Jesus endured the hardship of the cross for the joy set before him. That's what it says in Hebrews 12 verse 2. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. There was a bigger picture than his own well-being. Jesus knew that God's plan was to bring many sons to glory, people like you and me, that we would be able to come into God's presence. Jesus knew that it would cost, it was worth pressing through. So he willingly, joyfully endured the cross for our sake. How amazing is that? And he is our great role model. He's the one that we look to. You see, the context of Hebrews chapter 12, which talks about the Lord's discipline, is all about Jesus. It's all about the cross. It's all about what Jesus has done for us. That's why we embrace joyfully endure discipline, because Jesus did. Because he went before us, and we follow after him. That's why James can say this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, hardships, because the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish the, its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You know, if you've had the privilege as a, as a, as a, as a woman here of giving birth to a child... You know that the pain is worth it for the joy set before you. You press through. You don't have any choice in it, but you you know there's a joy that you're looking for. You go through it because there's a joy. And you, at the end of it, when you hold this little baby in your arms, there is a joy that makes all of the pain suddenly disappear. God wants us to be those who joyfully endure discipline because there is a greater reward. Are you prepared to say no to the pleasures of sin, the pleasures of this world, for the joy of inheriting a better life? Maybe this morning, unknown to anyone else, you're already going off the rails. Maybe deep down, you know that you are battling with some stuff. You've maybe been looking at stuff you shouldn't. You've been thinking things which are, you know are unworthy. You've been struggling with unforgiveness maybe, struggling with hardship, you perhaps feel you're losing your way a bit. Heed God's correction this morning. Joyfully endure discipline. Maybe you feel angry and resentful about stuff. Maybe you feel jealous. Maybe it's pleasure. Maybe you feel you've been missing out on stuff. Anything that's becoming between you and God, God wants to set you free. 
You see, once you embrace God's correction, something remarkable starts to happen. You start to see things differently and experience a deep joy that humanly makes no sense. That's why characters like Paul and Silas, when they're in prison and suffering, they're in chains, they've been beaten. It's the middle of the night. They don't have much to hope for, and they are able to worship God in prison in the midst of their hardship, in the midst of what feels like uh, a, a difficult time. The writer of Hebrews says that we're to treat hardship as discipline because God's going to do something good in us and through us. And Paul and Silas are able to worship God in the middle of a prison cell. How amazing is that? You see, there must be joy on the journey for us. Correction is always painful to our pride. We need the gospel to help us. We need the gospel the moment we got saved, but we need it all the time. If you've been a disciple of Jesus For 20, 30 years, you still need the gospel. It's the gospel that works in our hearts and changes our hearts and our minds. Martin Luther puts it like this. You need to beat the gospel into your head. You need to beat it into your head. Every day you need the gospel. God, help me live for you. I need you today. I need your word today. Come and help me live for you today. We need to joyfully endure discipline. Finally, love explains discipline. Now, there were year, some years ago, my daughter, we lived in uh, uh, Lowford, uh, east side of Southampton, and there was a day when Annette was uh, walking with Megan, and she'd always talk, told Megan, she said, Meg, don't, when you get to the side of the road, you stop at the side of the road. And what happened this morning, that Meg came to the road, and she just went across That's right, isn't it, Annie? She just literally walked across the road. What did Annette do? What did she say? Did she go, oh, you are a monkey, aren't you? Oh, it all all worked out in the end, didn't it? Don't do that. You are a naughty girl. No, she didn't. Because she knows, Annette knew that actually Meg's life was in danger in that moment. In that moment, she knew that Meg could have been killed by a car. 30-mile-an-hour car would have killed our little girl. In that moment. And so Annette, she corrected her. She said she really was very firm. Meg probably cried in the moment as well as she dealt with it. But she learned a lesson. Because Annette, why? Was Annette being harsh and horrible? No. She loved her. She loved her deeply. Love explains discipline. You see, behind correction is a father's love. If you are a Christ follower, then you need to know this. God loves you deeply. He loves you like nothing else. You cannot measure his love. And God's discipline proves it. I'm going to read a a passage and what you need to know this, you see, that one of the reasons we often resist correction, we struggle with it, is because actually we don't really think we're that bad. Actually, I'm really not that bad. I'm actually quite a good person at heart. I was listening to uh, PJ Smythe, and this is what he said. The gospel is that you are far worse than you thought, and God is far kinder than you know. You are far worse than you think you are. 
God is far kinder than you will ever know. Listen to this in Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to read this together. It's going to come up behind me. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, and and you have forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and punishes everyone he accepts as a son. This this passage, we'll come back to the rest of it in a minute, but this passage from Hebrews, the writer is saying, we are surrounded by witnesses. Let's follow their example. Let's follow them as they follow Christ, followed Christ. Let's throw off everything that hinders us. Let's throw off the sin that entangles us and stops us running after God, running Christ's way, running God's way, running on the path of discipline. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Come on, guys, you can endure the discipline of God. You can do it because Christ did it for you. He scorned the shame, scorned the shame of the mocking, the ridicule. You know, there'll be a lot of mocking for some of you as teenagers, as students in these days from people around you. What? You live like that? What do you mean you don't sleep with your girlfriend, with your boyfriend? They'll be mocking, they'll be ridicule. Jesus scorned the shame for you. He wants us to be those who scorn the shame for the hope of a greater prize. We're to, Hebrews says, we're to consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men. Do you feel that you're facing opposition in work, maybe work, maybe Uh, In life, maybe you're feeling that, oh, everything's against me. Well, consider him. Look to Christ. Look to Jesus. He considered. He went through it. He endured for you. God wants you to press through. Keep going. Keep your eyes on him. Keep running his way. Listen to this. This is great. And have you forgotten that word of encouragement? This is a word of great encouragement. This should, you should leave here this morning. I feel so encouraged. God loves me so much that he wants me to go his way. How amazing is that? The God of heaven, the God of heaven is my father who loves me and won't allow me to go the wrong way. And so he disciplines me. Oh God, that is so encouraging. We should leave this place with the joy of God in our hearts. God is with us. He's for us. When John Wesley, on his deathbed, his last words were, he apparently, he said this twice before he died, his last words, he put his hand in the air and he said, best of all, God is with us. God is with you. 
You're going through tough times. John Wesley going through the last battle, facing death squarely in the face. He said, best of all, God is with us. God is with you. If you follow Jesus Christ, he's with you. You need to know this. Jesus Christ knows what you're going through. He's in heaven praying for you, interceding for you, we're told, in the book of Hebrews. Thomas Goodwin, an old Puritan writer, says that there are two things in heaven that draw out Jesus' compassion. One is this, your hardship. When you go through hardship, it stirs his compassion because he had to press through hardship. And you can know this. If you're going through tough times at the moment, Jesus Christ has compassion on you. Your your hardship provokes his compassion. And Goodwin said the second thing, second thing that provokes Jesus' compassion is your sin. Because he knows what it is to be tempted on all counts. He knows what it is to face the temptations you face. Yet he didn't sin, but he knows what the pressure is like. And when you fail and when you fall, he has compassion on you. Your sins are forgiven because you have a compassionate God. You need to know this. You need to know this. Hear this. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this. God would be unjust if he didn't forgive your sin. God would be unjust if he didn't forgive your sin. It's not about mercy. He would be unjust. God has to forgive your sin. If you've put your trust in Jesus Christ, God has to forgive your sin. His throne is established on righteousness and justice. He is a just God. Jesus Christ is the atoning sacrifice for your sins. That's what the Bible says. He died for your sins, so God must forgive your sins. He would be unjust not to forgive your sins. And so that's why it says in 1 John, it says this, if you sin, he is faithful and just to forgive your sins. So if you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, I'm not good enough, you don't know what I did this week, I'll tell you this, it doesn't matter. Jesus Christ is faithful and just. God is faithful and just. Christ went through death, rose from the grave for you, that your sins might be forgiven. God will forgive your sins because he is just. Hallelujah. Do you get that? Doesn't that make your heart want to sing? God has forgiven my sin. He cannot hold my sin against me because Jesus Christ died on my behalf. And if you're here this morning and you have never given your life to Jesus Christ, I want to plead with you. Give your life to him. You can know what it is to be forgiven in the courts of heaven. There will be a day when you will stand before God and you will hear this said over you, debt paid in full. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Submit to God. Let's just read the last of this and then we'll draw to a a close. Verse 7. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? 
If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. The old King James uses a shocking word for us today. doesn't use the word illegitimate children. It uses a word that we wouldn't say today. And I'm not just going to say it just to shock you. But it's full on. That is what you are. If you do not receive discipline from God, you are illegitimate. You are not children of God. God disciplines all his children. We should all expect it. We should all joyfully endure it. We should all willingly embrace it because we're God's children. It's part and parcel of being children of God. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. Well, sometimes. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while, as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths. For your feet. God disciplines those he loves. We should be those who willingly obey, willingly submit to God. Trust and obey, as the old song says, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And God is for our good. God wants you to enjoy life. He doesn't want this life here to be miserable, He wants you to live it and enjoy it. Sometimes we walk through life, uh, 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 quoting someone else now, it says we look like we've been baptized in vinegar. We are so miserable. God wants us to joyfully embrace life, embrace hardship. You see, because God gives us righteousness, he's given us right standing with God, but he fills our hearts with peace as we follow him. Whatever's happening, we can know the peace of God. And maybe this morning, that is what you need to hear. You need to receive peace from God. You need to know peace in the midst of your trial, your hardship. You see, it says at the end about strengthening weak knees and feeble when we feel feeble arms and, and knees. And the imagery is, is of someone who, who's just weak and struggling, is going to stumble. I was in the gym yesterday, and there was a, a lad in there who would be a bit younger than me, and he's in there with his parents, and he's clearly had a stroke. And they're in there, and he's got his arm, his, his left arm is obviously weak, and they're, they're trying to, they're helping him go through the pain of training just to get some strength back into his limbs. And you watch this going through the pain, and I make such a fuss about going to the gym. Oh, I don't want to go. Oh, it hurts. Oh, it's too painful. And I'm watching this, pressing through, pressing through, just to strengthen his weak arms. Come on, church. We need to be a people who embrace God's discipline. Love it. Look forward to it. It's a word of encouragement to us. It's not a heavy word. I'm going to finish with this quote. Jerry Bridges, in his book, Trusting God, says this, The purpose of God's discipline is not to punish us, but to transform us. 
He has already meted out punishment for our sins on Jesus at Calvary. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. But we must be transformed more and more into the image of Christ. That is the purpose of discipline. Hallelujah. God wants you to look like his son. We heard this morning, we had those great readings, three readings about Jesus Christ. He is the image of the invisible God. God wants you to look like his son. How amazing is that? And he's going to discipline you. There's a way to walk. There's a way to live. And there are going to be days when he corrects you. Joyfully endure it. Willingly embrace it because he loves you. And he wants you to be like his son. Hallelujah.